Out of Play, episode 37, Carson City. Yeehaw! Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I provide a full explanation to help you learn and learn to teach another great game. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and today we're going to talk about one of the most highly requested games at the How to Play request list, and that is Carson City. And I'm recording this episode on a rainy day on April 21st, 2012. Carson City was designed by Xavier Georges, a Belgian designer, also very well known for Trois. It was released in the year 2009, and it can play between two and five players. I personally have played it with three, four, and five players. It plays pretty well across the the spread there. I think four is sort of the sweet spot. It works very well with five. Things get tighter as there's less actions to take. Three's a little bit more open, but still works. And I've not played it with two, but I just don't like this type of game with just two players. I, I don't like Kalis with two, and I prefer the game just a bit tighter. So that would be my order, four, five, three, two. Let's talk about why I have chosen to tackle this episode on Carson City and why it's a game that's worth playing. Well, Carson City, like a lot of games, is a game that is a direct descendant of one of my favorite games, Kalis. If you have not played Kalis, you are not eligible for the How to Play Platinum card. You need to play Kalis. It is one of the most important games of the last 10 years. It basically invented the modern worker placement game. And it's still the greatest worker placement game out there. And if you have not played it, well, you have a perfect opportunity coming up. The Calibration 3 is coming up just this month, May 14th to 20th, 2012. Calibration 3 will be sponsored by BoardOfPlaying.com, which is a great review site. And if you sign up there... Kelly of Board of Plane, that's B-O-A-R-D of Plane, is offering many great prizes, including a Kalis Special Edition. So be sure to sign up. All you have to do to sign up, it's free. You, you sign up, you put some basic information in there, and you agree to play one game of Kalis within the time frame of May 14th to 20th, 2012. And I also hope you'll come to the Calibration 3 Guild, post a link to where you played Kalis. You can order a Calibration t-shirt. There's going to be an upcoming episode of my other podcast, Ludology, where I'm going to have questions fielded from the designer of Kalis, William Adia. So stay tuned if you haven't heard that one yet. Look forward to that. There's also going to be promotional tiles, all sorts of great things coming out. So To get all the news, check out the Calibration Guild and the Calibration page at boardofplane.com. We win great prizes, so check it out. I think this game, Carson City, and several others are testaments to what a fantastic game Kalis is. It's a great game on its own, but it's almost even more exciting how it sort of created a genre of games all on its own. 
even just this last year, tons of these worker placement games are still coming out, and some of them are very popular. Rosenberg's new one, Aura et Labora, uh, the Wizards of the Coast game, Lords of Waterdeep is a is a Kalis clone. The Village with workers that get older, Belfort, uh, the Dice worker placement games with Kingsburg and Alien Frontiers, the first Kalis clone, Pillars of the Earth, and seven top-notch games, not including Kalis itself, that's in my top 50. This game, Carson City, Twa, Stone Age, Age of Empires 3, Dominant Species, Lahav, Agricola are all inspired by the great game Kalis. So if you haven't learned to love Kalis yet, uh, take this opportunity May 14th to May 20th. So needless to say, I love this worker placement genre. What do I love about it? Well, I love that it takes games and focuses on that most important piece of gaming that is really at the heart of all games everywhere, which gets me to my new gaming theory that I recently discussed on an episode of Ludology. And that is the Sturm theory of universal prioritization in decision-making. The Sturm theory of universal prioritization in decision-making says that all games involve players attempting to best prioritize a set of actions based on a perceived value in order to achieve the game's objectives. In auction games, players determine that value and prioritize what they're going to bid on or how much they're going to bid on it based on that perception of value. In area majority, players must prioritize which areas of the board to take. In route building games, players must determine which routes to build first. In negotiation games, players must prioritize trades between players. Worker placement takes the essence of that prioritization of decision-making and makes it into this nice, clean, simple form. You have three to six actions on a turn, and players take turns taking one of those actions, and they have to prioritize the things that they need to do and which of them they're going to do first. And that is what I love about worker placement. It captures that piece that I love. The Sturm theory of universal prioritization in decision making. I'm sure it will be famous for hundreds of years. The uh, S-T-U-P-I-D. Well, that's unfortunate. The, the stupid game theory. I probably should have thought that through before. Um, choosing those words. But that's what these worker placement games are all about. But the great ones, the really good ones, like the ones I mentioned in my top 50, take that prioritization and the designers add elements to it to make that prioritization interesting and change and grow throughout the course of the game. You have some sort of an arc on that prioritization puzzle changing throughout the game. They also typically add some element of risk or uncertainty in players not knowing whether they're going to be able to get that action or pushing their luck. Kalis mastered this with the foundational idea of a road of actions, and the actions grow and become more interesting as the game goes on. And there's the added risk and uncertainty of the end of the road being dangerous to play to with that element of the provost. Carson City puts a very interesting twist on that. It both has this arc and this element of risk, but it's done completely differently. The actions stay the same, but what changes is this city, this landscape that you're building, which changes the importance of the different actions, as well as players are building up their resources, which gives them more options throughout the game. But the way this game handles risk takes the way Kalis players are used to thinking about worker placement and turns it on its head. 
and that is direct conflict. If you want to try to take an action, if another player wants that action, they can try to take it from you, which works very well, and it's a lot of fun. So at first glance, this game just seems like Kalis with a different theme. But there's a lot of interesting ideas going on, and that element that players can contest each other by taking the same action totally changes the strategy of the game. The theme of Wild West is captured pretty well. I think it has a stronger theme than Kalis. So while there's tons of Kalis clones out there, this is one of the best ones, and it's a lot of fun. So I encourage you to learn it here with me today. Complexity rating. Carson City is a black diamond. I don't like this rule book. I would call this sort of a concentrated rule book. It tricks you because it only has eight pages, but there are a ton of rules crammed into that eight pages. It's easy to miss a lot of the subtle, small rules within the game. In fact, I played this game wrong the first four times I played it, each with different rules I was getting wrong. I think, I'm hoping, I've got it all figured out now. And that's one of the other reasons I wanted to do an episode on this game, because it's got a, a lot of little rules that are easy to miss, and it's an easy game to play wrong. But as far as getting involved in the game, it's pretty intuitive. Once players understand the general concept, they'll be able to use some strategy and get into it within their first play. But you really need to know all of the rules and give a real quality explanation with this game, because there's a lot to take in. Who might not like Carson City? Well, this is a very Euro-y game with uh, role selection combined with worker placement. So if you don't like those elements, you probably won't like this game. Also, if you have people who have an extremely low tolerance for randomness and chaos, they may get bothered by this game. If you like the no luck, a la Kalis, be prepared that it's not that. This is, this is the Wild West version of Kalis. There are some random elements. The two random elements are other players, how much other players contest you, and those contests are resolved with a die roll. Now, that's not as random as it might seem because players can avoid Avoid areas that they think might be contested, and they can also get modifiers to either guarantee or give them a very high probability with those die rolls. There is a variant to reduce a bit uh, some of this randomness that I'll talk about in the footnotes. I've played it both ways with and without the variant. Honestly, I, I think I like the rules as is with the die rolls, and, and I'll talk more about that at the end in the footnotes. So enough introduction, let's get into it. I'll give a hook, get into the meat of the rules, and a hamster to give you some strategy. At the end, I'll have some footnotes talking about several variants that are included in the base game to help you mix this game up, so stay tuned for that. As always, I recommend taking a look at the board or the components. Go online, check it out. I'll have a link at my webpage, or if you just have the game and you can open it up, that's great. Are you ready, partner, to venture into the Wild West? Let's ride. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Howdy, partner! In this game, you are helping to build the wild western town of Carson City. Your goal is to be the most prestigious citizen of the town by earning victory points. The most common ways to earn victory points is to build buildings in the town. And you want to get those buildings to earn you lots of money, because you're then able to take that money and convert it into more victory points. 
The structure of the game is that we'll start by taking turns selecting a role, which will give us some special abilities and determine our turn order. Then, using that established turn order, players will take turns placing one of their cowboys on the board, either in an action box on the action track or on a square in Carson City on a plot of land that they'd like to purchase. However, beware whippersnappers. With this being the Wild West and all, if a player takes an action that you want to take, you don't have to just say, that's okay, sir, I'll come back tomorrow. You're allowed to place your cowboy right in that same box, stare at him straight in the eye, and say, I'll be your huckleberry. Thus indicating that you're willing to duel him through a dice roll-off to see who gets to take that action and who goes crying home to their mama. So, players will take turns placing their cowboys in action boxes or in the city to purchase land until no one wants to play any more cowboys. When the first player passes, they move their disc on the turn order chart to the number one, indicating that they will get first pick of the rolls on the following turn. As more players drop, they move their token on the turn order chart to indicate their turn position on the following turn. When all players have passed, you then resolve the action, going down the road down the action track and resolving them in order. If more than one cowboy is on a square, then at that point they duel to see who gets to do that action. The final actions on the road involve converting some of your money into victory points. Then all the players will get some more cowboys, and you'll continue with the second turn by first selecting roles, placing your cowboys, and resolving the actions all over again. The game lasts over four turns. Players earn points throughout the game by using action boxes, many of which convert money into points. But a large chunk of points also comes from players owning buildings, houses, and mountains in the city, earning two points for each of them at the end of the game. After four rounds are complete, and the players get those points for each square in the city that they own, the player with the most points will be declared the most rootin' tootin' cowboy in the West, and win the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to Play the Game. Learning about the board and components. So we'll start by looking at the game board. The game board has two major components. First of all, we have the land where Carson City will be built. Carson City is an 8x8 square grid, and we will start the game by randomly determining where the city of Carson City will start and we'll put a house there and roads around it. Then there will be nine random mountains put on this grid. And this grid is important because this is where players will buy plots of land and put building on those plots. After we put down the city center and the mountains, and you've explained the rules of the game, players will take turns placing two of their property tiles, which are squares in their player's color, to claim ownership of two of the squares on the map. The start player will start, it'll go around to the last player who will play two, and then you'll go in reverse order. But the second main feature of the board is an action track. There are 21 different possible actions, and those snake around down the top of the board. And these are possible actions that players can put their cowboys in to take, such as getting a certain resource or buying a building. 
Also in the upper left, you'll see a double turn order track. So it says one, two, three, four, five. That's where players put discs to mark what place they are in the turn order. If they drop, they move their marker to the number one on the track directly below it, showing their turn order for the following turn. There's also, of course, your requisite victory point track around the outside of the board. Now let's talk about the various player resources. First of all, you're going to start with some money, and you'll earn money with buildings. You use the money to buy more land in the town and to buy buildings to put on that land that you then own and also to convert money into victory points. You'll be able to earn more money from the buildings that you buy. Next, you start the game with one road and can get more roads. Most of the buildings that you're going to buy need to be connected to the main road network. We have that Carson City Center, and at the beginning of the game, players can play adjacent to that. Adjacent in this game is always also considered diagonal. So if a building just touches the corner of the road, it's okay. But if you build out from that city center, you'll then need to play roads in order so that the road touches at least one of the corners of that building. Next, you start the game with one gun token. Throughout the game, you have the possibility to get more gun tokens through various methods. And guns, when you have a duel, as I explained in the hook, you get to add the strength of your guns. So more guns means you have higher probability of being able to win duels. And finally, you have your cowboys. On the first turn, you start with just three cowboys that you'll put into your active supply. So you can use three of them on the first turn, or you might pass early and carry one or two of those over into the following round. In round two, you'll get four more cowboys. In turns three and four, you'll get five more cowboys. The other purpose of unused cowboys is if you don't use your cowboys, you get to count those as guns in your duels. So saving guys is sometimes a good strategy. Next, you have those colored squares we talked about in the setup. Each player will have 12 of those. You use those to buy land to put your buildings on, but also you can use them to take control of houses and even mountains on the board so that you can own your own portions of Carson City, which are marked by these colored squares, which are a little bit larger than the building tiles. So when the building tiles sit on top of them, you can see, okay, that's purples, that's reds, and so on. And the last resource, of course, is the buildings. You don't start with any of those, but you can buy them. They are lined up as seven of the actions you can take on the action track. You want to buy them because owning buildings is worth victory points at the end of the game. Also, buildings will earn you money each turn, and you can convert the money into victory points. So how all these pieces work together is you're going to use the Cowboys for actions to either buy land to put property tiles on the board or to put them on that action track to get roads or money or to buy a building so that you can then place that building on one of your property tiles and usually you need to connect that with a road so that you can earn more money and then you can buy more land and more buildings and so on and so on. Use cowboys to buy land, to put on buildings, to earn money, to get you more buildings and more points. Got it? Good. Let's move on to those 21 action boxes. Don't worry, a lot of them are the same. The multitude of actions you can take. So after we choose roles, 
Then we'll get to the main part of the game, which is choosing your actions. In the first turn, you'll have just three cowboys to place in a multitude of places. There's that action track, as I said, with 21 boxes. I took the time to count just for you. And then you have the city, and there's uh, a few reasons why you might put your cowboys in the city. First, let's go down the action track and tell you about all the different actions on that track. But before we do that, it's important to remember that this goes down a road order. And that's important because one of the actions earns you money before the buildings, and one of them earns you money after the buildings. So you may want to get a little bit more money so that you can buy those buildings in the middle of the track. And so you can sort of pre-plan that way. The money that comes after the buildings, well, you'll have to use that next turn or for some other purpose. But keep in mind that those actions go in order down the track. Another reason that's important is that the second box has three guns on it. And whoever gets that is going to get to use those guns immediately for future duels. So keep the road order in mind as you play through your first game. So the first four action boxes on the track are pretty straightforward. There's one that gets you $4. There's another one that simply gives you a road. And these have a special symbol on them. and has a gun with an X through it. That means there's no dueling on these spots. And these are the only two spots where you can play multiple cowboys. So you can put as many guys as you want there, turn after turn, putting a cowboy there to get either the $4 in one spot or the road in the other spot. Another box that comes early is the Triple Guns of Death. You'll see in this spot there's a token with three guns on it. And what this is, is whoever gets this is going to have three guns for any future duels that are resolved in that turn. It's temporary. It's only for that turn. But if you think you're going to be in a lot of fights, getting the Triple Guns of Death can be very useful. You'll notice there is not the guns with the X symbol on that. So you may start off this round with the first duel being for the triple guns of death. And that could be very important to resolve future duels. Another box is simply get three roads, which is a lot of roads. So you see there's two options there. There's the safe option. You can just get one road. Or if you're feeling brave and you think nobody's going to do it, you can go on the three roads, keeping in mind that someone could duel you for those three roads. The next actions you can take are seven empty boxes that will hold random building tiles. And they're in a sliding scale. So the one furthest to the left is $3, then 4 5 6 8 10 and 12 so once players take some of these in the first round any leftover will slide down to the left and we will refill by drawing them from a bag of tiles so this is sort of a, a fun mechanic in the game because everybody wants the three or four dollar buildings but if you go there know that you're probably going to have to duel for it because a lot of players will want those cheap buildings the next three spots on the action track are different ways to earn money. The first is gambling. You simply roll two six-sided dice and you earn the amount in dollars that you roll on the dice. Next is guns. For every gun symbol that you have and every extra cowboy that you have in front of you, when this is resolved, you earn two dollars. Next is property tiles for points. For every property tile you have on the board, when you go here, you'll earn $2. So if you have four property tiles on the board, that'll give you eight bucks. And the final part of the action track is different ways to score points. Points are hard to come by in this game, so these are important. A winning score for this game is somewhere around 40 points. 
The first one is for every two property tiles you have, you earn one point. Next one is for every two guns that you have. That includes gun symbols in front of you and extra guys that you have left over. You get a point. So if you had eight in gun strength, then you would get four points. And the next one is for every building that you have on the board, you get one point. So these are just nice little ways to score maybe between two and four points. Then there are four money conversion spots. Five bucks for a point, four bucks for a point, three bucks for a point, two bucks for a point. And when players get to resolve this action, they can take as much money as they want and convert that into victory points. So if they manage to get the two bucks for a point, they had $12, they could sink all that in and get six points with that action. In the first turn, all of these are available. And of course, everybody wants the best ratio, two bucks for a point. But just like with the building tiles, if you go on that spot, expect that you're probably going to have to duel for it. You may choose to go for three bucks for a point to try to get away without a fight. At the end of the first turn, there's a token that moves to the left, covering the best ratio. So in the second turn, only five, four, and three dollars for a point will be available. In the third turn, only five and four dollars for a point. And in the final turn, there'll only be one spot, which is usually a very hot spot, and that's five dollars for a point. So as players are able to get more money, there's less and more expensive options for players to convert that money into points. So those are the actions. Essentially, there's five different things that the actions allow you to do. Get money, get guns, get roads, buy buildings, or score points. And you're just going to look at those options and choose the one that is best for you. However, you may also choose to play cowboy into the city. And there's two reasons to do that. The first and most common is to buy a plot of land. You're going to place it on an empty square that you want, and that will allow you to purchase that square. You also are able to place them on mountains and houses. Why do you want to do that? Well, a couple reasons. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. The second reason you would want to play in the city is that you're allowed to rob the other player's buildings. You won't be able to do this for the first turn, but second, third, and fourth turns, if a player has a building that's making a lot of money and you want to put your guy into that building, you get to steal half of the money that that building earns rounded down. Guess what? Of course, the player may choose to defend his building by putting his own worker in there, dueling you, and if he fights you off, then you don't get to steal the money. But to start with, remember that you're not actually resolving any of these actions. You're just choosing the actions. So on the first turn, players will go around and play one of their cowboys one at a time. And I'll probably take two or three rounds around the circle. When someone doesn't want to play anymore, they pass. And they take their marker from the turn order track and drop it to the bottom turn order track to the number one, giving them the first position next turn. And when all players have dropped, then you resolve. So after all players have passed, it's time to resolve. And when you resolve, you start at the top of the track and you wind your way down. If there's only one player in that square, they simply get whatever is there or may buy the building or whatnot. If there is more than one, then they will have a duel to resolve who gets the action. Now there are three orange squares on that track and these show 
when some special things resolve. You cannot place cowboys into these orange boxes. These are simply three actions that are going to happen for everyone. The first orange box in the action track is purchase parcels. So this is where everyone with their cowboys on squares on the board would buy their land on the board. If two cowboys are in the same square, meaning they want a duel for that, you'll resolve the duel first. If there's multiple duels on the board, the first player will decide the order in which that happens. Then all players can sort of simultaneously purchase the plots they have selected. What does buying land cost? It costs $1 plus $1 for anything on that square or anything in an adjacent square. So if you had an empty square with two mountains around it, then that would cost you $3. Base price of one plus the two mountains. Later in the game, these can get expensive. A player could want to buy a square that has a mountain on it and say there's two houses next to that mountain and there's four buildings around it. They're going to pay the base one plus one for the square plus two plus four is eight. That would cost them eight. Empty squares that players own don't count as increasing the value of that plot. So we'll do a few of the actions, then we have all the players buy the parcels, then we have the ones where people buy buildings, then we have some ways where people can earn money, and then we get to the next orange box, which is all players earn their income. Now prior to this, remember that players could try to rob a building of another player. So if you had any duels of someone attacking a building, you would resolve that before you would earn money. And then all players would simply announce how much money that they're earning, totaling up all of the value of their buildings, which we'll go over in a minute, and they would collect that money. Then we get to all the different victory point actions, and the final orange box is an option for all the players, and that is to convert money to points at $10 for one point, which is not a very good ratio, but some players may be forced to do that because of the role that they have chosen. But that's how actions work. Players are going to have their cowboys. They're going to choose to put them on these different boxes to earn money, to get buildings, to get points, to buy land, or to attack buildings. Once all players have passed out of wanting to play more cowboys, we'll go down the road, resolving any duels as they come up, and stopping at those orange sections to let all players buy their parcels, collect their money, and cash in money for points. Now we need to talk about what those different buildings are and how they can earn you money. Getting to know the buildings of Carson City. So it's finally time to talk about what these buildings actually do. So there are eight different types of buildings and it's very important that you know how they all work. Now the game comes with this a very moderately useful and somewhat confusing player aid that has symbols next to the buildings, uh, but understanding what those symbols mean is a bit of a stretch. For example, many of the buildings say road plus house. What does that mean? You add a road to the house? Well, they actually are in the same column, but mean completely different things. So hopefully I can sort of sort a lot of this out for you now. So you have a good understanding of these buildings before you start the game. Basically, all the buildings kind of have the same function. They generally want to be next to other things, whether it's empty spaces or mountains or houses or something. Each building wants to be next to different things, and the more of those things that they're next to, the more money that they will earn you when we get to the income earning step of the turn. Now, a lot of these buildings want to be next to things. For example, the saloon wants to be next to houses. 
and that earns you money, but you only earn money for houses that you own, you have your property tile underneath it, or if no one owns. And that's where it becomes interesting in players wanting to purchase houses on the board because that can secure that they're going to get income out of that house or it can deny income from an opponent. I'm going to divide up the buildings into two different categories that I've just made up called urban and rural buildings. Now most of the buildings in the game, six out of the eight, are what I'm calling urban buildings. And that means they follow two important rules. First of all, they need to be connected into the main network of the city. When we start the game, we have one square with a house on it with roads around it. This is considered the center of Carson City. And any future buildings that are built that are these urban buildings need to be connected to that center by touching at least a corner of a road. And so you could place it anywhere around that center of Carson City to start the game. But if you wanted to play further away than that, then you'll have to use some of your roads. And you can play those when you place the building in order to make your placement legal. You play as many roads as you need in order to get to the square that you want. Of course, you'll have to have those roads. The second rule is when you place one of these urban buildings, it increases the population of Carson City, and thus you must play a house. In order to play a house, the house that you play has to be connected to the city with roads. So again, there's legal places all around Carson City, but as Carson City fills up, you may need to play more roads in order to have a legal placement, or you may want to play it adjacent to that building that you just played because therefore it'll earn you more money. When you lay a house, usually you're laying it into an empty square, but sometimes it can be beneficial to you to lay it in a, on a property tile that you already own on the board. You can even lay that house on a property tile that an opponent has. But in order to do that, you need to get their permission. Basically, you're giving them points by dropping that on their tile, but sometimes you want to do that just so you can get that building down. So most of the buildings, and these are the buildings with that curious road plus house designation, these are urban buildings, meaning they need to be connected into the city through roads, and when you place them, you must play a house. If you cannot follow these rules, you may still buy the building, but you're not allowed to place it immediately. You instead, as a penalty, have to keep it in front of you, and you may place it at the end of the next building phase. So you have to wait all the way to the next turn after all of the buildings that people want to buy have been bought and then people can play those extra buildings that they have left over. This won't happen very often but it can happen and if it does happen to you it's usually a bad thing because you're missing out on one of your income phases for that building. But how do these different buildings make money? So let's start with the six urban buildings. And remember the rules are, must be connected by roads and you must play a house. First of all, the saloon. The saloon earns income based on $5 per adjacent house. Remember adjacency in this game always counts diagonal. So you look at every house all the way around and that will tell you how much money it makes. So if you play a saloon and there's three houses around it, that saloon's income is 15. Now you represent that by turning the tile a certain way. Along the outside of the four sides of the tile are the different possible values. It says 0, 5, 10, 15. And if you flip it over, it says 20, 25, 30, 35. 
And so you orient the tile with the value that it's worth north. And all the property tiles have little arrows on one side. So you put those arrows north. And when you drop the tile, you turn it so that in this case, my saloon's worth 15. So I put the 15 on top. And that way I know when we earn money, I'm gonna get $15. Now this could change throughout the game. For example, if my opponent were to buy an adjacent house, I wouldn't get that money anymore. So I'd have to turn the tile down to the 10. So now my saloon's only making 10. As a little hint in the upper left-hand corner of these tiles, they have a picture of what the building wants to be next to. The next building is the hotel. The hotel just earns a flat income. It always makes you $6, which isn't a ton of money. But the real benefit of the hotel is that it counts as two house symbols. This is recognized by the two red houses that are printed in the corner of the tile. And therefore, if you owned a saloon and a hotel next to each other, then that would be a very good thing. The next urban building is the bank. The bank earns $3 for every adjacent house and for every mine that you own. Now, do not get confused. It's adjacent houses and mines that you own. The mines do not have to be next to the bank. You just have to have them. This is a rule I actually just learned. Thank you, Andy. And that's because mines generally don't want to be by anything. They want to be out there by themselves. They're rural buildings. So the bank gives you $3 per adjacent house and per mine you own. The next building is similar. It is the drugstore. It gives you $3 for every adjacent house and $3 for every ranch that you own. Again, the ranch is a rural building. It'll generally be off by itself. It does not have to be adjacent to the drugstore to get you that money. However, here's a weird exception. The ranch counts as a house. So if the ranch was adjacent to your drugstore, you'd actually get three bucks for it being an adjacent house and $3 for owning that ranch. The next two urban buildings don't earn you any money, but they give you special abilities. The first one I wanna talk about is the church. The church counts as a house and the special ability it gives you is other players can't attack any of your buildings that are adjacent to that church. So if you have a building that you're pretty sure is gonna earn a lot of money, it's nice to build a church next to it because then none of your opponents can go in it. And also you get that little bonus of the church being a house itself. The final urban building is the prison. The special ability of the prison, it does not count as a house, but it does give you two gun tokens immediately when you play it. And the final two buildings are what I'm calling rural buildings. And they're rural buildings because they do not have to be connected through roads to the city of Carson City. And you do not play a house when you play these two buildings. And it makes sense when you think about what they are. They're ranches and mines. The ranches, in fact, really want to be off by themselves. Both the ranch and the mine, when you build them, you get a gun token. The ranch counts as a house, and the ranch earns you a dollar for every adjacent empty space. And I mean totally empty, meaning no mountain or house. Another player could have a property tile there as long as they didn't own anything on top of it. And the other rural building is the mine. Mine, as I said, gives you a gun token. And the mines want to be next to, guess what? The mountains. They earn you $3 for every adjacent mountain. 
but this follows the same rule as the houses for the earlier buildings. You only get money from those mountains as long as no one owns the mountain or if you own the mountain. So sometimes it's a good thing to purchase that mountain or to steal another player's mountain to deny them income. An interesting thing about the way the game is set up is that the seven buildings aren't completely random. In the initial setup for the game, four of the starting seven buildings for the game are these rural buildings. So most of them are those rural. So people will build those ones out in the corners. And then when we get into turns two and three, people will build in the middle and, and Carson City will start to bloom out, which is kind of a neat phenomenon. And those ranches start to get overtaken. And so I, I kind of like how that is set up. It makes the integrated theme part of my soul all happy inside so that is how the buildings work most of them have to be connected into the town you have to you'll have to play roads in order to connect them to the main town most of them you have to drop a house when you build them and most of them you want to increase their value by having them be adjacent to the appropriate buildings or to have some of the appropriate buildings now you're getting to really what this game is about getting those tiles that are going to help you getting the correct combinations of those tiles getting houses next to buildings where you want them to be next to cornering off sort of your own area of the city. So that's what makes this game really interesting. Not only do you have these difficult decisions with playing these workers, you're also playing this geographic puzzle of staking out your boundaries on the city and trying to get the correct things next to each other. The final element of this game that we have to talk about is those rolls. Remember those? At the beginning of the each turn, before we play any cowboys, we're going to choose one of seven possible rolls, each which have a significant impact on your game. So let's talk about those. Exploring your multiple personalities. So this is the first thing you do at the beginning of the turn. You choose one of these seven. The game calls them personalities, but we all know from games that this is role selection. You're picking a role that's going to give you a special ability. And actually, in this case, there's three important elements to each of these role cards. Each of the rolls has a set number, one to seven, and that's gonna determine the turn order for the cowboy placement. So if you really wanna go first, you might wanna take that number one roll card. Next, each one of them has a varied special ability to give you something special. And finally, there's a red number at the bottom of each of these roll cards, which ranges from $20 all the way up to $120. And this is an important number. This is your cash limit. At the end of the turn, you have to discard down to this much money. You remember at the very end of the turn, you are allowed to change in 10 bucks for a point. And usually you don't want to do that. But sometimes you'll have to if, for example, you've taken the sheriff who has a very low cash limit of $20. You're not going to be allowed to carry over very much money. However, the banker, which is an astounding number of $120, you're not going to have to worry about discarding any money. So you're going to have to plan for the amount of money that you're going to be able to carry over. If you're not allowed to carry over very much money, you're going to have to count on spending a lot of that money or converting a lot of that money into victory points using one of the good conversion money to points actions. But I'll go over each of these seven real quick. Number one is the sheriff. The sheriff comes with a white cowboy, which is the sheriff. And you get to use that white cowboy on that turn. And where you place that white cowboy, no one can duel you there. 
You have to place it in an empty square, but once you go there, nobody can mess with you, which is nice. But the sheriff has a cash limit of $20, which is not so nice. Number two is the banker. The banker simply gives you nine bucks. Right when you take him, you get nine bucks. And the real nice thing about the banker is that cash limit of 120. If you're planning on making a lot of money, it's very nice to be the banker. Number three is the grocer. The grocer gives you the choice of two abilities. You can either take eight bucks, much like the banker, or you can double the income of one type of building. This is really good if you've gotten multiples of a certain type of building. Say you've gotten two mines and they're both making pretty good money. If you take the grocer, you can say, all right, my mines are going to make double money this turn. And that can make you a lot more than the base $8. So that's your choice, $8 or double one of the incomes. You have the choice of taking the eight bucks right when you take it, or you can wait till buildings pay off and see how much money that's going to earn for you and then decide to either just take that eight bucks or to double one type, not all your buildings, one type. So it's good to have the same type when you take that grocer. The grocer also has a nice cash limit of 60 bucks. Number four, the Chinese coolie. The Chinese coolie helps you build. The price of any building you buy is halved, rounded up, and you get two free roads when you take him, though he has a cash limit of $30. Number five is the settler. The settler lets you play a free parcel right when you take him. You can take an empty land or you can take a house or a mountain on the board and you just say, this is my land. But he has a low cash limit again of $30. The captain. The captain lets you buy more cowboys. One for one, two for four, or three for nine. You have to make that purchase immediately right when you take the captain. You have to make that decision. Then you have those extra cowboys. Keep in mind, you can use those cowboys right away on that turn, or you can just sort of hold on to them as extra firepower or to use them in future turns. And finally, number seven, the mercenary. The mercenary simply gives you three gun symbols. So if you think you're going to be going after some contested action boxes, or if you just want to mess with people, you can take the mercenary and really mix things up. But he has a very low cash limit of $20. Also, uh, since he's the number seven, you're going to go last in the turn order, which actually, since you have a lot of guns, can be an advantage because since you have all those guns, you can see where people want to go and then foil their plans by dropping in there and shooting them up. But those are the rolls. You pick them at the beginning of the turn. They're going to give you turn order, special ability, a cash limit. You use that ability for that turn, so you're going to have four different rolls over the course of the game, or maybe you could choose the same one four times. Each round they go back and players choose them again. So let's wrap it all up by reviewing the full game structure and talk about what happens at the end of the game. The overall structure and the end of the game. So let's review, shall we? We'll start by choosing one of those rolls. Then immediately we have to reset the turn order based on the roles that people have chosen. Then it's time to place cowboys based on that turn order that we took. You're going to put them either in the action boxes, an empty land plot to buy that land, or in someone else's building to attack it. You'll go around in that turn order till someone decides to pass. When they pass, they move their turn order marker. Passing early, keep in mind, gives you some advantages. First of all, you get first choice of the roles in the following turn. Next, if you've saved any cowboys, you get to add those to your die roll when you have a duel. And finally, something I haven't mentioned yet, if there is a tie in a duel, whoever is earlier in the turn order wins the tie, and that's a nice advantage to have. 
Then after all the players have passed, you resolve the actions down the road, remembering to stop if there's any section with more than one player's cowboys. If there is a duel, formally, here's how it works. Each player will roll a six-sided die, and they will add to that the number of gun tokens that they have or gun symbols, and add to that the number of unused active cowboys they have in front of you. And the player with the highest number will win. If there's a tie, whoever's lowest in the turn order wins that duel. The winner stays there and gets to do the action. What happens to the loser? The loser has to take their cowboy back. However, that cowboy goes in their active supply, which is good for a couple of reasons. If they have any future duels, that guy will get to fight in that duel. He'll plus one to your total. And also, of course, you'll have another extra action in the following turn. So losing duels isn't terribly bad. You do get some booby prizes for losing. One thing we haven't talked about is what if we have three players involved in a duel? Is that possible? It sure is. If three players want the same thing, you can have three players in a square. Then all the players will roll a die and add to their total, and the highest player will come out the winner. So you'll go down that action track. Remember to stop at those three orange boxes. The first one where all the players buy their land, resolving duels if you need to. If there's multiple players having fights over plots of land, the person lowest in the turn order gets to choose the order of those. And that might be important because of the reason I just said. Someone who loses might get a bonus in the following duel. Then we go down to earning income. Uh, you resolve any building attacks. Someone might steal half of the money rounded down if they successfully attack a building. We'll do the victory points. Remember, people at the end of the round can cash in 10 bucks for one point if they have to, if they have too much money over their cash limit that their roll allows them to have. Let's say you have 27 and your cash limit is 20. Well, now you have a difficult choice. You have two different options. You can simply get rid of $7 down to your cash limit, or you could trade in the 10 for one, and then you would go into the next turn with only $17. So you would make that choice how to get under the limit. You can either just ditch it down to that bottom limit, or you can take the 10 for one. At the end of the turn, a couple things happen. There's the turn marker that slides over to the left one spot, and that's going to cover up one of those cash for points boxes. Also, all players will get more cowboys for the following round. In the second turn, they'll get four. In the third and fourth round, they'll get five more to add to the ones they might already have that they didn't use or that got defeated in duels from previous rounds. Of course, you got to check that cash limit before we move into the next round. Make sure all players are under that before returning their roll cards. Then you'll slide your buildings down to the left, filling up the empty squares, and you'll draw random buildings out of the bag to fill the empty squares from left to right then you're ready for the next turn. You continue that through four turns. At the very end of the game, it's very important to remember, and I would remind your players of this, on turn four, we still check our cash limits. So, if you took the sheriff with a cash limit of 20 and earned $80 on the last turn and didn't convert any of that money into points, you're going to have to convert all that money at the 10 to 1 ratio, which is stinky. However, after the cash limit check, players are allowed to turn in money for $6 per point 
which isn't as good as the best ratio on the board, which is five for one, but it's still pretty good, six for one, but only the money that's under their cash limit. You have to do the cash limit. Players will have to discard or do 10 to one, then they can do six for one. This is one of the rules I messed up uh, one of the four times I played this game wrong. So that's the last way players turn their money in for points. Then the last thing you can do, which turns out to be about a third of the points that players earn, and that is they get two points per owned building, house, or mountain. You don't get any points for empty property tiles on the board, but you get two points for each of those. So you might have six or eight of those. So that's going to be uh, 12 or 16 points. And so you add that to your point total and whoever has the most points is the winner of the game. Part three, the hamster, how to win the game. All right. So what do you want to do in this game? One of the most common paths for victory is to build buildings and get those buildings to make lots of money because buildings give you two victory points on their own and also they're going to earn you money and you can use that money to change them in for victory points. So some of the basic things you're going to have to do is make sure that you get some parcels on the plots where you want the buildings to go. Consider how many roads you're going to need and don't forget that you're going to have to play houses. And usually you'll want to play those houses in places that will help you. Sometimes you'll get to play somewhere they don't help anybody if, if you have to. Then often if you don't plan, you'll have to play houses that help your opponents. And the worst case scenario is there's not enough roads and you don't have enough roads to play a house anywhere on the board. And so you're out of luck. So you're going to have to plan to get those plots out, to have enough roads, and to plan for where the house is going to go. Don't forget, most of the buildings make you play a house. Now, the best way to generally play this game for most of the buildings is generally you're sort of going to try to make your own little section of the city. You're going to want to start a group in your own little sort of corner of the board. You'll start off right outside of Carson City and sort of grow your own little territory. Maybe you get four, then six, then eight boxes that besides ranches and mines, you're going to sort of want everything there together because being adjacent helps you increase the value of your buildings. Don't forget about the value of buying houses and mountains. During the action phase, you'd put your cowboy on a house or a mountain. The reason you do that is to secure that that house is going to earn you money or secure that that mountain is going to earn you money and it discourages other players from going near it. And it's also worth two points at the end of the game. This is a game about prioritization. My favorite thing, as I discussed with the Sturm theory of universal prioritization in decision-making. I love it, but this game adds a totally extra wrinkle on that prioritization as you have to risk analyze each of your possible choices. So like most of these worker placement games, you're going to carefully prioritize, where do I have to go first? But you have to consider whether if you place in a square, whether you think that will be contested. And if it is contested, can you win? A lot of times going into boxes is just not worth the risk because if you go there, you know someone else will go there, especially if someone took that mercenary. You know that if you go there, they're going to go there either just to stomp you or because they want it too. So sometimes it makes sense to go in boxes that maybe are a little bit more expensive 
or to go to the safe spaces if you're weak. Also, you might want to do that gamesmanship and not sort of drop your hand right away. Sometimes it's, unlike something like Kalis, it's not as good to drop your first cowboy in the place that you need the most because you're sort of showing your hand. It's got that, that poker element. You may want to just sort of hang out and see what other people do first. Or the more fun way to play it is to get lots and lots of guns and then you can just sort of take down other people for the best spots on the board or to knock them out of places that really help them and that are good for you too. And to add to this element is what replaces the provost in this game and that is the triple guns of death. Because the triple guns of death are there and they're so tempting and you want to go there. But if you do go there, you're sort of sending a message. It's the... If you go there, usually someone has to fight you for it. And then usually people maybe drop early so that they have extra cowboys so that they can win the triple guns of death. And if you're really a mean and nasty person, you take the mercenary and then you go to the triple guns of death and you blow up everybody and there's blood all over the board. Not that I have ever done that. I only play these games very nicely and politely. But the last thing I will tell you about is probably the most important, and that is that you need to score points as much as you can throughout all four turns. There are very limited ways to score points in this game. And a lot of times what I've seen in almost all the games that I've played is that almost everybody spends the first three turns trying to build up, getting guns, getting buildings, getting land, getting money, but they don't get any points and they sit on zero on victory points until turn four. And then turn four comes and everybody wants to score points. And there's duels and people have to throw away money and it gets very, very ugly. And so usually the person who wins is the person who scored the most points before turn four. So sometimes it's painful to do that. I know you want that more money or you just want to get one more building or one more spot on the board. But cashing in some money, $2 for one point on the first turn, or even just scoring four or five points on turns two or three in a game that plays to about 40 points can be huge as the demand for those spots is much lower in the first three turns. So don't forget to score points in turns one, two, and three. But that's all the advice I have for you. I hope you have a good old-fashioned hootenanny building up the town of Carson City. Part 4. Footnotes. Alright, so we're going to end with some footnotes. This game has four really great variants that are packed right in the box. I love it. It gives you a lot of ways to mix up the way that you play the game, which gives you a lot of value for your game here. First of all, let's talk about the infamous Might is Right variant. The Might is Right variant is very simple. The game comes with a bunch of tiles with numbers on the backside, 0 to 5, and each player is going to get like six of these tiles during the game. The game also adjusts the amount of starting money you get based on how high your tiles are. And then when you get in a duel, instead of each player rolling a die, each player selects one of their hidden tiles from zero to five simultaneously and flips it over and adds that to their guns and, and extra cowboys. And so that gives you another decision to make and doesn't leave it just in the hands of the dice. Now, when I read the rules for this game, and actually when I was introduced to the game, uh, you know, it was seemed obvious that this was the way to play the game. It added another decision. It took 
a lot of the luck out of the game. That's it, it just seemed obvious that this was a better way to play the game. Well, I can tell you after playing it multiple times with the tiles and playing with, with the dice, I personally would much rather play it with rolling a die. And I'm a Kalos player. I love the no luck, but in this game, it, it really works. I'll tell you why, because a lot of the times, because of the amount of gun tokens people have, most of the time the, the outcome of the battle is almost predetermined. The dice might give someone a little bit of a chance of pulling off an upset. And again, remember, if you lose the duel, you still get a booby prize. You get to go back and you get to use that guy for future duels and in the following round. So it adds a bit of uncertainty. And if you have a lot more guns, then you can know that you most likely can blow people up. And if you have no guns, then you have to steer clear of everybody. And if everyone's about the same, then you know everything's a 50-50 shot and you have to play that way. You can even, even set yourself up so you have so many guns that no one can even beat you, even if it's a 6-1. The die roll works. It's fine. It's great, in fact. There's a reason that that's the base rules. I love it. It reminds me of that little bit of uncertainty in the tile flip in Age of Empires. There's just a little bit of luck possibility. Players can press their luck if they want to. They can make decisions based on odds that they can see in front of them. It's fine. Don't fear the dice rolls resolving combat. However, if you are totally adverse to luck, then you could give this a shot. But I'd very much encourage you to play the game as written. I think you'll be surprised that, that it doesn't make the game as random as you fear. And actually, I think it makes the game more fun. Even with the, the way the tiles work, it's a little bit funky in that when people have six tiles, they don't get any new ones until they use up all their tiles. So players might game the system and just get into combats just for the purpose of resetting their tiles, which makes it feel like they're, they're gaming things. And ugh, I, I don't really like it. And heck, the tiles that you get are still random, so you can still get hosed with randomness. Goes back to my old adage, rolling dice is more fun than flipping cards and tiles. It just is. I don't have a scientific theorem for that one yet, but I will work on it. Okay, but there's three other variants that are very interesting that come with the game. First of all, each of those roll cards, the sheriff and the captain and the, the Chinese person, they each flip over and have an alternate ability on the other side. So you can either play with them all on the yellow side, as it's called, because the ability is written in yellow, or all on the red side, or it says they're even balanced so that you can do a mix of each, so that you have a mix of special abilities within each game, which I really appreciate. Then they did something else that I really love when, when board games do. They provided an alternate map. On the back side, the, the front side, you just have an empty 8x8 grid. On the back side, there is a river in the middle of the city. And you use less mountains, and the rivers help the mines just like mountains. Oh, and I just noticed that the river is dried up. On the, you can actually see it on the front side. I didn't ever notice that before. That's kind of groovy. I haven't played that river side yet, but again, I just love that the game gives you another option. And the next time that I play this game, I definitely am going to play the Kit Carson variant of the game. This sounds like the coolest idea, and, and I'm really upset that I haven't played it yet. The Kit Carson variant is that, you know, all players have those three or four or five cowboys to play. Instead of placing them in turn order, you simply say, ready, set, go. And all players can use one hand and may place their cowboys on the board at any speed that they like. 
And the reason I think this would really work, that would be a terrible, terrible rule in Kalos, is it would just get to be a punching fight. But the reason that I think it makes sense in this game is it's not really an advantage, as I talked about, to play your cowboys first. In fact, sometimes it's a disadvantage. So I could see there being just like staring contests, and you might actually have to put a time limit on it, because I could see players just sort of staring at each other, sort of feeling each other out about what they're going to do. I very much look forward to trying this out. If you have tried it, let me know there at the guild of how, how well it worked. I'm very curious about that. So you got the, the tiles you can throw in if you want, but I really recommend use the dice the first time and, and don't, give your, don't give your players the option because if you tell your players, okay, well, we can either play this game when, when we have a fight, we each get to roll a die or you have a hand of tiles to choose from. Well, that sounds really terrible and it sounds like the tile variant would be much better, but it's really not. So don't give your players the option. Just play the base rules. That's my recommendation. You've got the awesome, the red sides of the roll cards. You've got the river on the back side, and you've got this free play worker placement game, which I can't wait to try. All in all, once you finally figure out the rules, which I hope I finally have, if I made any mistakes on this, please let me know. I think we've got a, a great game in this package, and I know last time it, it was just hanging on to being in my top 50, but I, I have a feeling it might slide up a few spots as I'm looking forward to exploring this one quite a bit more over the rest of this year. I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. So I hope that you will check this one out and have fun with it as well. And don't forget, Calibration 3, May 14th, May 20th, 2012. You can win a premium edition. I think it's valued at like $150 or something. You can't get it anymore. You can win a Kayla Special Edition, and all you have to do is play a game of Kayla's in the middle of May, sign up at Kelly's website at boardofplane.com, B-O-A-R-D, of plane.com. You can buy a Calibration t-shirt. You can listen to the Ludology episode. But plan on, at your weekly game night, setting up a game of Kalis and enjoying that great game. Because if there was no Kalis, I don't know if this great game would have ever existed. Or Age of Empires, or Agricola, or Dominant Species, or Twa, or any of these wonderful games. So that is why we calibrate each May. And if you're listening to this in 2014 or 15, well, hello. How is the future? I'm sorry that you missed Calibration 3, but hopefully there'll be a Calibration 4 or 5 or something in May for you to play. Well, that's going to wrap things up. I've got to get to my soccer game. I'm back playing soccer. My arm is healed. I'm back playing frisbee golf. I'm back playing rock band. I'm sure you were all concerned that I was missing out on some of my favorite hobbies. But I've got to go. I've got things to do. It's time to shut down the How to Play Studios and wish you all some happy gaming over the next month. Hopefully it involves at least one game of Kalis. Thank you so much for listening, partners. This has been Ryan Sturm of the How to Play Podcast. That wraps up this episode of How to Play, but be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation 
spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. 